Book Twelve, Part Two, of History of the Kings of Britain, by Geoffrey of Monmouth, translated by Aaron Thompson, and J. A. Giles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: Cadwallo takes Piander, and routs his army. In the meantime, Cadwallo arrived with ten thousand men, whom King Solomon had delivered to him, and with them he marched straight to the siege against King Piander. But as he was going, he divided his forces into four parts, and then made no delay to advance and join battle with the enemy, wherein Piander was forthwith taken, and his army routed. For, finding no other way for his own safety, he surrendered himself to Cadwallo, and gave hostages, with a promise that he would assist him against the Saxons. Cadwallo, after this success against him, summoned together his nobility, that had been a long time in a decaying state, and marched to Northumberland against Edwin, and made continual devastations in that country. When Edwin was informed of it, he assembled all the petty kings of the Angles, and, meeting the Britons in a field called Heverfeld, presently gave them battle, but was killed, and almost all the people with him, together with Offred his son, and Godbold, king of the Orkneys, who had come to their assistance. Chapter 9 Cadwallo kills Osric and Aidan in fight. Having thus obtained the victory, Cadwallo marched through the provinces of the Angles and committed such outrages upon the Saxons that he neither spared age nor sex, for his resolution being to extirpate the whole race out of Britain, all that he found he put to extreme tortures. After this, he had a battle with Osric, Edwin's successor, and killed him, together with his two nephews, who ought to have reigned after him. He also killed Aidan, king of the Scots, who came to their assistance. Chapter 10 Oswald routs Piander in fight, but is killed by Cadwallo coming in upon him. Their deaths made room for Oswald to succeed to the kingdom of Northumberland. But Cadwallo drove him, with the rest that had given him disturbance, to the very wall which the Emperor Severus had formerly built between Britain and Scotland. Afterwards, he sent Piander, king of the Mercians, and the greatest part of his army to the same place to give him battle. But Oswald, as he was besieged one night by Piander, in the place called Heverfeld, that is, the heavenly field, set up there our Lord's cross, and commanded his men to speak with a very loud voice these words, Let us all kneel down, and pray the Almighty, living and true God, to defend us, from the proud army of the King of Britain, 
and his wicked leader Piander, for he knows how justly we wage this war for the safety of our people. They all therefore did as he commanded them, and advanced at break of day against the enemy, and by their faith gained the victory. Cadwallo, upon hearing this news, being inflamed with rage, reassembled his army, and went in pursuit of the holy King Oswald, and in a battle which he had with him at a place called Burn, Piander broke in upon him and killed him. Chapter 11 Oswin Submits to Cadwallo Piander desires leave of Cadwallo to make war against him. Oswald, with many thousands of his men being killed, his brother Oswin succeeded him in the kingdom of Northumberland, and by making large presents of gold and silver to Cadwallo, who was now possessed of the government of all Britain, made his peace and submission to him. Upon this, Alfred, his brother, and Oidwald, his brother's son, began an insurrection. But not being able to hold out against him, they fled to Piander, king of the Mercians, desiring him to assemble his army and pass the Humber with them, that he might deprive Oswin of his kingdom. But Piander, fearing to break the peace which Cadwallo had settled throughout the kingdom of Britain, deferred beginning any disturbance without his leave, till he could some way work him up, either to make war himself upon Oswin, or allow him the liberty of doing it. At a certain Pentecost, therefore, when Cadwallo was celebrating that festival at London, and for the greater solemnity wore the crown of Britain, all the kings of the Angles, excepting only Oswin, being present, as also all the dukes of the Britons, Piander went to the king, and inquired of him the reason why Oswin alone was wanting, when all the princes of the Saxons were present. Cadwallo answered that his sickness was the cause of it, to which the other replied that he had sent over to Germany for more Saxons, to revenge the death of his brother Oswald upon them both. He told him further that he had broken the peace of the kingdom, as being the sole author of the war and dissension among them, since Adelfrid, king of Northumberland, and Oidwald, his brother's son, had been by him harassed with a war and driven out of their own country. He also desired leave, either to kill him or to banish him the kingdom. Chapter 12 Cadwallo is advised to suffer Piander to make an insurrection against Oswin. This matter caused the king to enter upon much deliberation and hold a private consultation with his intimate friends what cause to take. Among the rest that offered their proposals, Margadad, king of the Domitians, spoke as follows. Royal sir, since you have proposed to expel the race of the Angles from the coast of Britain, why do you alter your resolution 
and suffer them to continue in peace among us. At least you should permit them to fall out among themselves, and let our country owe its deliverance to their own civil broils. No faith is to be kept with one that is treacherous, and is continually laying snares for him to whom he owes fidelity. Such have the Saxons always been to our nation, from the very first time of their coming among us. What faith ought we to keep with them? Let Piander immediately have leave to go against Oswin, that by this civil dissension and destruction of one another, our island may get rid of them. Chapter 13 Piander is killed by Oswin. Cadwallo dies. By these and other words to the same effect, Cadwallo was prevailed upon to grant the permissions desired. And Piander, having assembled a vast army, went to the Humber, and laying waste that country, began a fierce war upon the king. Oswin was at last reduced to such extremity that he was forced to promise him innumerable royal ornaments and other presents more than one would believe if he would desist from ruining his country and return home without committing any more hostilities. But when the other could by no entreaties be prevailed upon to do it, the king, in hopes of divine assistance, though he had a less army, however, gave him battle near the river Wynnid, and having killed Piander and thirty other commanders, gained the victory. Piander's son, Wolfred, by a grant from Cadwallo, succeeded to the kingdom, and joining with Eber and Edbert, two leaders of the Mercians, rebelled against Oswin. But at last, by Cadwallo's command, made peace with him. At last, after forty-eight years were expired, that most noble and potent king of the Britons, Cadwallo, being grown infirm with age and sickness, departed this life upon the fifteenth of the calends of December. The Britons embalmed his body and placed it with wonderful art in a brazen statue which was cast according to the measure of his stature. This statue they set up with complete armour upon an admirable brazen horse over the western gate of London for a monument of the above-mentioned victory and for a terror to the Saxons. They also built under it a church in honour of St. Martin in which divine ceremonies are celebrated for him and the others who departed in the faith. Chapter 14 Cadwallader Succeeds Cadwallo He was succeeded in the kingdom by Cadwallader, his son, whom Bede calls the youth Eliduwalder. At first he maintained the government with peace and honour, but after twelve years' enjoyment of the crown, he fell into a fit of sickness, and a civil war broke out among the Britons. 
His mother was Piander's sister, by the same father but a different mother, descended from the noble race of the Genuisians. For Cadwallo, after his reconciliation with her brother, made her the partner of his bed, and had Cadwallada by her. Chapter 15 The Britons are compelled, by pestilence and famine, to leave Britain. Cadwallader's Lamentation During his sickness, the Britons, as we have said before, quarrelling among themselves, made a wicked destruction of a rich country. And this again was attended with another misfortune. For this besotted people was punished with a grievous and memorable famine, so that every province was destitute of all sustenance except what could be taken in hunting. After the famine followed a terrible pestilence, which, in a short time, destroyed such multitudes of people that the living were not sufficient to bury the dead. Those of them that remained, flying to their country in whole troops together, went to the countries beyond the sea, and while they were under sail, they, with a mournful howling voice, sung, Thou hast given us, O God, like sheep appointed for meat, and hast scattered us among the heathen. Also Cadwallader himself, in his voyage with his miserable fleet to Armorica, made this addition to the lamentation. Woe to us, sinners, for our grievous impieties! wherewith we have not ceased to provoke God, while we had space for repentance. Therefore, the revenge of his power lies heavy upon us, and drives us out of our native soil, which neither the Romans of old, nor the Scots or Picts afterwards, nor yet the treacherous Saxons with all their craft, were able to do. But in vain have we recovered our country so often from them, since it was not the will of God that we should perpetually hold the government of it. He, who is the true judge, when he saw we were by no means to be reclaimed from our wickedness, and that no human power could expel our race, was willing to chastise our folly himself, and has turned his anger against us, by which we are driven out in crowds from our native country. Return, therefore, ye Romans, return Scots and Picts, return Ambrons and Saxons. Behold, Britain lies open to you, being by the wrath of God made desolate which you were never able to do. It is not your valour that expels us, but the power of the Supreme King, whom we have never ceased to provoke. Chapter 16 Cadwallader, with his people, goes to Allen. The Saxons seize all Britain. With these dolorous complaints, he arrived at the Armorican coast, 
and went with his whole company to King Alan, by whom he was honourably received. So that Britain, being now destitute of its ancient inhabitants, excepting a few in Wales that escaped the general mortality, became a frightful place, even to the Britons themselves, for eleven years after. Neither was it at the same time more favourable to the Saxons, who died in it without intermission. Notwithstanding the remainder of them, after this raging plague was ceased, according to their old custom, sent word over to their countrymen that the island of Britain was now freed of its native inhabitants, and lay open to them, if they would come over and inhabit it. As soon as they had received this information, that odious people, gathering together an innumerable multitude of men and women, arrived in Northumberland, and inhabited the provinces that lay desolate, from Albania to Cornwall, for there was now nobody to hinder them, except the poor remains of the Britons, who continued together in the thickets of the woods in Wales. From that time the power of the Britons ceased in the island, and the Angles began their reign. Chapter 17 Cadwallader is, by the voice of an angel, deterred from returning to Britain. After some time, when the people had recovered strength, Cadwallader, being mindful of his kingdom, which was now free from the contagion of the pestilence, desired assistance of Alan towards the recovery of his dominions. The king granted his request, but as he was getting ready a fleet, he was commanded by the loud voice of an angel to desist from his enterprise, for God was not willing that the Britons should reign any longer in the island before the time came of which Merlin prophetically foretold Arthur. It also commanded him to go to Rome, to Pope Sergius, where, after doing penance, he should be enrolled among the saints. It told him withal that the Britons, by the merit of their faith, should again recover the island when the time decreed for it was come. But this would not be accomplished before they should be possessed of his relics and transport them from Rome into Britain. At the same time also, the relics of the other saints should be found, which had been hidden on account of the invasion of pagans, and then at last would they recover their lost kingdom. When the holy prince had received the heavenly message, he went straight to King Alan and gave him an account of what had been told him. Chapter 18 Cadwallader Goes to Rome and Dies Then Alan had recourse to several books, as the prophecies of the eagle that prophesied at Shaftesbury, and the verses of Sybil and Merlin, and made diligent search in them to see whether the revelation made to Cadwallader agreed with those written oracles. And when he could find nothing contradictory to it, he admonished Cadwallader to submit to the divine dispensation, 
and laying aside the thoughts of Britain, perform what the angelical voice had commanded him. But he urged him to send his son Ivor and his nephew Inni over into the island to govern the remainder of the Britons, lest a nation, descended of so ancient a race, should lose their liberty by the incursion of barbarians. Then Cadwallader, renouncing worldly cares for the sake of God and his everlasting kingdom, went to Rome and was confirmed by Pope Sergius and being seized with a sudden illness, was, upon the twelfth of the calends of May, in the six hundred and eighty-ninth year of our Lord's incarnation, freed from the corruption of the flesh, and admitted into the glories of the heavenly kingdom. Chapter 19 The two Britons, Ivor and Inni, in vain attack the nation of the Angles. Athelstan, the first king of the Angles. As soon as Ivor and Inni had got together their ships, they, with all the forces they could raise, arrived in the island, and for forty-nine years together fiercely attacked the nation of the Angles, but to little purpose. For the above-mentioned morality and famine together with the inveterate spirit of faction that was among them, had made this proud people so much degenerate that they were not able to gain any advantage of the enemy. And being now overrun with barbarism, they were no longer called Britons, but Gualenses, Welshmen, a word derived either from Gualo their leader or Gualas their king or from their barbarism. But the Saxons managed affairs with more prudence, maintained peace and concord among themselves, tilled their grounds, rebuilt their cities and towns, and so throwing off the dominion of the Britons, bore sway over all Loegria under their leader Athelstan, who first wore a crown among them. But the Welshmen, being very much degenerated from the nobility of the Britons, never after recovered the monarchy of the island. On the contrary, by quarrels among themselves and wars with the Saxons, their country was a perpetual scene of misery and slaughter. Chapter 20 Geoffrey of Monmouth's Conclusion But as for the kings that have succeeded among them in Wales since that time, I leave the history of them to Caradoc of Lancavan, my contemporary, as I do also the kings of the Saxons to William of Malmesbury and Henry of Huntingdon. But I advise them to be silent concerning the kings of the Britons, since they have not that book written in the British tongue, which Walter, Archdeacon of Oxford, brought out of Britain, and which, being a true history, published in honour of those princes, I have thus taken care to translate.
End of Book 12, Part 2 End of History of the Kings of Britain by Geoffrey of Monmouth Translated by Aaron Thompson and J. A. Giles